But we're going to start in chapter 14 first. Mostly because there's a scripture in chapter 14 that's been bugging me. But it's been bugging me in a good way. You'll ever have a, you'll ever get like in your Bible study time or, you know, you hear somebody preach or something. You ever, you ever get like a scripture stuck in your heart and it just, it just bugs you and it just like won't let go of you? Anybody ever have that, have that happen to themselves? Well, there's this scripture in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and it's verse 26. If Jessica, if you want to put that up for me. This scripture, I cannot get it out of my head. I cannot get it out of my heart and it's bugging, it's bugging the pants off of me. This is what Paul says. He says, what shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. And so here's what I've had in my head and in my heart uh, from this scripture. It's this. It's that Jesus wants to bring a culture change even to our own church. Uh, it's already happening here, and it's been happening for years, really. But uh, I, I feel like the Lord wants to push push down on the accelerator and he wants to uh, almost put in a tidal wave and just fully seal the deal on, on, on how he wants to set culture here at the vineyard. And he wants culture to be defined by 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26. You say, Adam, what are you getting at? What I'm getting at is this, is church is the place where we come to give. It's kind of a definition that we don't normally get from church. When if I were to ask you guys to tell me about church, what's the purpose of church? Why do you come to church? What's to church? What is church supposed to look like? People would have a long list of things. Some people would be like, well, church is where I have friends. Or, you know, church is my sanctuary. Church is where, you know, I feel beat up and I go to get inspired. Church is this, church is that. And all of those are good things. All of those are right things. But the thing that's captured my heart in the scripture and the thing that I'm that I'm zealous and I'm desirous for is that our church especially, that the culture here, and not just here in the purple walls, but any time that God's people get together as the vineyard, meaning like if me and Cliff go and hang together, meaning that if people come over to my house on Monday nights for wine night, meaning that when you're at home group, when you're here, when we have a worship night, when we just have some rock bands come in and play some rock shows, my desire is that when God's people, the vineyard, get together, that we would, that we would have a culture uh, and that we would be defined as a people who come to give, not people who just come to take. See, there's, I won't get on that hobby horse. Oh. I'm just saying that church is about giving. It's about what can I come to give. And um, I just feel like one of the things that the Lord wants to add to the, add to the church here when it comes to being a place of giving is the, the, the Lord wants to touch our body in such a way so that it's the, it's the place that when we get together, that it's the place where everybody comes to give. You see, you notice this, the, the, the language here. It says, when you come together, not just some people have hymns or words of instructions. It's that everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. And you see, I want to tell you something here. Paul's not listing out four or five things that you should do so that you have a healthy church. You understand that? Paul's not saying if you want to have a healthy church, make sure someone sings a hymn, make sure someone brings a word of instruction, make sure that someone has a revelation, make sure that someone has a tongue or an interpretation. Paul's not saying that. Paul's just riffing here a little bit, and he's saying that when you come together, everybody has something to bring by the Holy Spirit. 
And my desire is that our church wouldn't be a place where just the paid staff brings something. My church, my desire is, is, is not that this would be a place where the paid staff and Cliff brings something to give. My, my desire is not that the, the church would be the paid staff and Cliff and Dr. Ray and, and, and Pastor Ray. And, you know, sometimes when we have John Mark, he brings something. My desire is that when we show up, everybody comes ready to give. Amen. This is something the Lord's really dealing with. I'm, I'm telling you right now, he won't let it out of my crawl. It's, it's just stuck. And so um, one of the things that the staff and I have actually been talking about lately is, have we built a structure that keeps people from giving what they came to give? See, a lot of, a lot of church structure actually keeps people from giving what they came to give. So we're going we're gonna to be in a process of redefining what church is. It's why we do interviews and this is just little things, you know. But we're going to continue to tweak it. And in, in a year or two years, you may not even understand, you may not even realize what this church ends up looking like. If I get my way with Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that at some point in time, the church ought to be a place where we all come to give. The church ought to be the place where we play offense occasionally. You know, I just feel like, you know, for the most part, even in our own church, we've been playing defense for the last 12 years. We occasionally, you know, we're, we, we play defense in the sense that we're, we're constantly putting out fires and we, and we don't ever really live from a place of vision. And we don't, you know, and we're, we always live from the place of need rather than the place of what we already have. You know what I'm saying? And I, I'm just saying that as the pastor of this church, I would like to play offense occasionally. Uh, my, son, uh, my son, River, he's, uh, I don't care if he is my son, but he's, a, he's an incredible athlete. Um. Not all of my children are athletes, but my son River is an athlete, and um, River loves soccer, um, but River hates to play goalie. He hates playing goalie. You know why? Because he likes to play offense. River likes to play forward. He likes to be the guy out on the edges, and he likes to cut in from the side, and he likes the guy from the middle to pass on the ball so he can score. I'm just saying, church, let's, let's don't play goalie. Let's play offense, you know, if that would be all right. So to me, 1 Corinthians 14, 26, it's a snapshot of what the church should be like. And I want to point out one more thing in verse 26, if you'll put it up for me, Jessica. Um, it's that last little phrase there. It says, all of this must be done for the strengthening of the church. I'd like to draw one more thing out of this. If we all don't come with something to give, if the culture isn't such that around this house, that for the most part we're people who come to give when we gather, then the church is, is not strengthened. It becomes a weak church. <clears throat> so you want to know why, for the most part, the church in America or the church, in, uh, the church globally uh, has, a, has, a, has, a weak, has a weak structure or is sometimes viewed as impotent, uh, even among other churches and especially among the world. You, know, you want to know why that, that characteristic plagues the church? That characteristic plagues the church, for the, for the, for the most part, because church is simply defined in most places as the place where everyone comes together, sits in the chair, acts quiet, everyone's nice, they give their tithe, and they let the paid staff do what they're paid to do. So what I want to tell you is this. Paid staff, we're not the hired boys around here. We're not the hired hands, and, and God wants to tweak the culture around here so that we're really just, we're just the cheerleaders, if you can hear that. And we turn you guys loose. Amen? That's my starting point. Um, let's turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
while you're doing that, turn to somebody next to you and say, I, I came here to rock your world this morning. Because that's really the attitude that real church is supposed to have. You, you want to you know what real church is like? Real church is like, I came here to rock people's face off. I came, some, I came with something. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's read about three verses here, okay? Because this is, this is how we become those people at a certain level. These, this is the essence or the components. Verse 12, verse 1 through 3. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or the other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. We'll stop there for a second, and I want to give you a little background. Church is the place where we come to give. It's not just the place where we come to take. And um, in keeping with this, with this idea that church is a place that we come to give, um, we have to be those people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit, who have an idea of what our gifts are, and who are sensitive to the, to the Lord in such a way that we release gifts among each other. But before we get into, into some of that teaching, the first thing I want to let you know is this, that when Paul begins to write here in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, he's not writing a, a step-by-step textbook manual for how to move in gifts of the Spirit, okay? Paul is writing to a church, and... and, and just so that we are abundantly clear about this, 1 Corinthians is not a textbook in any way, shape, form, or fashion. It's a letter. So Paul's writing a letter to a church. And when, he, when we get to chapter 12 here, we're, we're kind of halfway in the middle of an argument that he's already started somewhere around the middle of chapter 10. And it goes all the way to the end of chapter 14. And in this section, Paul is telling the Corinthians, this is how you do church. And so when we get to uh, chapter 12, Paul is telling everybody now about spiritual gifts. And when he, when he says now about spiritual gifts, he's not saying, hey guys, pay attention, I'm about to teach you a step-by-step process for being released in the spiritual gifts. What we need to realize is this, that Paul is bringing a word of correction to the church, okay? So this is not a textbook for how to be released into spiritual gifts. Furthermore, if you can read the entire Bible and you won't find a textbook for how to be released in the spiritual gifts anywhere in the Bible. The closest thing that there is to it is perhaps chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. The thing that really blows my mind is that signs and wonders are what characterized Jesus' ministry and his, and his teaching was backed up with signs and wonders. So Jesus, his entire ministry was characterized by a move of the supernatural. His followers, his most intimate followers, the 12, their ministry and their teaching was, was backed up and confirmed by, uh, by signs and wonders, by a breakthrough of the supernatural. Not only the 12, but, but those who came right after the 12. The early church, it was, it was defined uh, in a powerful and dynamic way as a place that when you come in, anything could happen. There could be a supernatural breakthrough. And you realize that if you read the scriptures, you can start at the beginning and go to the end, and there won't be a systematic approach to how to do signs and wonders. There's not a systematic approach in the Bible anywhere for how to heal the sick, There's not a systematic approach anywhere in the scriptures for how to raise the dead, cleanse lepers, or cast out devils. You say, well, what's the point? Here's the point. 
God, God doesn't give us a textbook approach to walking in the supernatural because if he gave us a textbook approach for walking in the supernatural, we would just, we would fall in love with a process and we would, we would fall out of love with a person, if I can say it like that. We'd fall in love with a process and we'd fall out of love with a person. And, and it works like this. If, if everything in the scriptures, especially with regards to walking in the supernatural, if it were done by process, we would become so religious it would look like this. I joked about it a couple weeks ago, but I'll joke about it again. You know, we would have a four-step approach to everything. We'd have a four-step four approach to, you know, releasing people from demonic oppression. And it would, it would look like this. Step one would be, you know, stay calm. Step two would be find a pig. Step three would be command the demon to go into the pig. And step four would be like, you know, have a Snickers and enjoy your day. And, and that's just not really the way it is. And, and in fact, when you read the scriptures, Jesus never did the same thing twice. And so when we come to the scripture, even, even the high points, the places, the places that charismatic churches like us or whatever, even those high points like Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and a couple dots in the other epistles, even these high points, we come to it sometimes and we think, well, oh man, this is going to be great. This is going to be our textbook for how to walk in the Spirit. And the truth of the matter is, it's not a textbook for how to walk in the Spirit. Paul's bringing a word of correction, and walking in the Spirit requires faith. I mean, it's the same price it took you to get into the kingdom. It's the same price it takes you to move into the kingdom. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you didn't come to Jesus because there was a four-step approach. At some point, something in your heart bypassed your mind and said, I don't get it. I've never really met him in person I just believe that his sacrifice satisfies the wrath of God for me and you made that jump of faith. And, you know, it's the same thing for moving in the spirit and moving in the supernatural. It's, it's about keeping people harnessed to that thing that first brought you into the kingdom to begin with. And that's faith. Why is there no process? Why is the Bible not a textbook for how to see signs and wonders and raise the dead? The reason it's not a textbook is because the essential element in the kingdom is faith. And so if we're going to be those people who, who come to church, if church is going to be a place, if we're going to create a culture with the Lord Jesus of church being the place where we come to give and we release to each other the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit, I want to tell you that the, the first part of this is going to be, it's going to, it's going to be moving, keeping us moving in faith. John Wimber used to say this. He used to say when he's talking about... Um, signs and wonders or, or spiritual gifts or just anything, you know, ministering with the Holy Spirit. And you guys have heard this a lot, but John Wimber used to say that, you know, this kind of ministry is, it's caught and it's not taught. And it's, it's so true. Like, how do you do this stuff? That the, the way you do it is you just get around it. And you, then you start doing it. Like, Jesus never taught his disciples how to cast out demons, but how did they know? Well, they'd been around him doing it, and so they knew. I've got a really funny story. Um, this happened probably two years ago in my office, uh, Joe, the drummer. Joe's my good friend. Joe likes to pray. Comes into my office one day, and um, Joe says, hey, Adam, you got a minute? I'm like, yeah, I got a minute. He says, why don't we pray for a minute? I'm like, okay. He says, but why don't me and you pray in the Spirit for a minute? Because Joe likes to pray in the Spirit. I'm like, cool, let's pray in the Spirit. So Joe and I just begin to sing and worship God in the Spirit. Uh, that is to say, we just begin to sing and worship in tongues. So we're just, we're praying and singing in my office. And Joe says, let's do it two minutes. Because if you, if you sing in the Spirit two minutes and I sing in the Spirit two minutes, that means we've done it for four minutes. 
The point here is caught, not taught, okay? And so there's this other person in my office with me. And I know this other person is very uncomfortable with what we're about to do, okay? Really uncomfortable. So I'm like, ah, it's okay. Let's just go for it. So Joe and I just begin to worship in the Spirit. We're, we're kind of joking, okay? It's not like serious, like grinding or anything. It's, it's kind of like we're laughing, having a good time. We just start, you know, Jesus, you're awesome. Then we just kind of, you know, start singing in the Spirit. Actually, we set, our, we, set our, we set the alarms on our clocks. We like set like a stopwatch for two minutes. And we're done. And we're laughing. And, and the, like the Holy Spirit just kind of like filled the room. And I'm like, I felt all encouraged. I'm like, Joe, I'm so glad you came to my office today. Well, before we leave, this person who's sitting over here that I know is very uncomfortable with what just happened says to me, he says, uh, 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 Adam, uh, I, I know what you said. Now, I said, how do you know what I said? He goes, I, I don't know. I just, I, I, just, I, I just saw something go through my brain, and I know what you were saying. I said, really? What was I saying? He said, you were saying, God, you're unbelievably holy. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. God, you're holy. Now, I nearly fell into the floor. This is why, okay? Because the person who was sitting in my office, who was very uncomfortable with this, was not a person who's been around religion, was definitely not a person who's been around like charismatic expression, and was certainly not a person who had given their lives to, to study in the scriptures hardcore. This person most likely had never read Isaiah chapter 6. What's the point? The point is it's just caught and it's not taught. You just get around it and the next thing you know you get like activated. I love that story. Joe and I were rocked. We were like, what happened here? This is unbelievable. So this isn't, a, um, this isn't a, like, an exposition on how to move in the supernatural. It's not a, a step-by-step process for releasing spiritual gifts and becoming givers that change the culture in church and change the culture in a city. Um, but even though it is a word of correction to Paul from a church, and even though I've made this big deal about it not being a textbook, there's still plenty for us to gather we can kind of look around the corner. It's kind of like looking, what, as Paul says in uh, chapter 13, it's like looking in a mirror dimly, okay? And so there's still plenty for us to pick up, even, even though Paul is correcting the church. And um, the other thing in terms of background that you need to know is this. It's that the Corinthian church was a church that was zealous for spiritual gifts, okay? They weren't just zealous for spiritual gifts, they were mostly zealous for one gift in particular, and it was the gift of tongues. If you do a careful reading of the entire book, starting at the beginning and going to the end, quite naturally, but especially if you read chapter 12, 13, and 14, one of the things you find out is that the Corinthians loved the gift of tongues, and at some level, it evidently was a, was a status mark in their church for who is spiritual and who is not spiritual. So when Paul writes the letter, he's, he's writing to them and he's correcting them, and he's not saying that tongues is bad, but he's, he, he's, he begins to correct them about what is spiritual and what is not spiritual. We together? Okay, we got about another, I'd say, 10 minutes of heavy plowing. Is that all right? We got we to plow here for a few minutes. And so when Paul begins this, he starts off by saying, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. And before we go any further, especially when we want to be the kind of church who are Holy Spirit givers, the first thing I want to tell us is that a good dose of humility would do us all a whole lot of good. Anytime we, anytime we, we, we set ourselves up 
to partner with the Holy Spirit for ministry. Anytime, we, uh, anytime our hearts turn and we endeavor, uh, and we endeavor to, uh, to partner with God to see spiritual gifts manifested in our life for the benefit of others, I, I just want to tell everybody in the room right now that it, it, it's wise and it's good to, to begin from a low place and to take a good dose of humility before you even start. Because there's a really good chance that every person in the room, including myself, were ignorant about spiritual gifts. Paul's writing to 1 Corinthians, but I want to tell you, it's, it's, it's one of those little phrases that gets skipped over, especially when we're teaching about spiritual gifts. But it's incredibly important for us. Most of us in here, myself included, we are ignorant about spiritual gifts. This is what I mean. A lot of us in the room come from a tradition, uh, maybe a more tr- a traditional tradition, that doesn't, uh, that, doesn't, um, that doesn't press in for spiritual gifts. Perhaps you came from a tradition that, uh, that teaches that spiritual gifts actually died with the apostles. Uh, and, uh, or, or perhaps you, uh, you came from a tradition that maybe doesn't directly teach that spiritual gifts died with the apostles, but uh, just in the way that the Holy Spirit was non-attended to in your, in your um, experience with that church, uh, the ch- you know, perhaps your church largely ignored the Holy Spirit. Maybe it, wasn't, maybe it wasn't so much on purpose, but it just, you know, the Holy Spirit, who's that guy? Well, he's the guy who convicts people of sin so they can get saved. You know, if, if your understanding of what the Holy Spirit is, is he's the guy who convicts people so they'll get saved. That's true, by the way. But if that's the only understanding of what you have about the Holy Spirit, you come, you come to spiritual gifts or you come to this passage, and I want to tell you, you're ignorant of spiritual gifts. And so a good de- dose of humility would do you well. But not only that, some of us in the room come from highly charismatic traditions. And, we, uh, you know, and pride begins to come right up. And we think, well, I've got this thing whipped, you know. Yeah, I know all about tongues. I know about interpretation of tongues. I know how you use it. I know, I know about prophecy. I've prophesied to 100 people. You know, uh, God used me to heal someone at one point. You know, and so sometimes we think, well, I've done a little bit of this, so I've got it down. Let's move on. And I want to tell you, tell you people as well, including myself, that probably even, even more than the people who come from a tradition where nothing was taught about the Holy Spirit other than conviction, for those of us who come from a more charismatic tradition, this, this need and this requirement to be humble people because we're probably ignorant is even greater. Realize this, when Paul is writing to the first Corinthians, to the first Corinthians, when Paul's writing to the Corinthians in his first letter, I speak for a living, when Paul's writing to the Corinthians in his first letter, the thing you have to realize is this. This is a group of people, not unlike us, this is a church, a group of people who were pressing in for spiritual gifts and who had seen some manifestation of the Spirit among them and yet Paul writes, don't be ignorant. What's the point? The point is you can have a history with the Holy Spirit and still be completely ignorant. I got one amen. That was pretty good. So some of us in the, in the room might be thinking, well, this is old news. <clears throat> Let's go to the Colton's. But... But if you've had that thought, you're probably the one I'm really talking to. See, it's possible to have a good heart. It's possible to be zealous for God and yet still be ignorant about spiritual gifts. So if Paul writes this to the Corinthian church, how much more do we need to to be humble when we come to the scriptures and when we come to partnering with God, you know? We just, we just need to start off with humility and just, we need to start off knowing that, man, we're looking through a glass dimly and we don't have it all together and we have lots to learn. Amen? 
little more heavy sledding here, and then we'll, then we'll pull up, okay? Verse 2, this is what Paul writes. He says, You know that when you were pagans, somehow or the other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who's speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. So in verse 2, Paul goes on to remind the Corinthians of their pagan past, and he's contrasting their pagan past with their current status as spirit-infused Christians. Can we see that? Paul's beginning to contrast the, the, the pagan past and the pagan practices that the Corinthians used to partake in, and now their new, their new status of, as being spirit-infused Christians. And so here's the argument that Paul is beginning to make here. He says, the argument that he's beginning to make is that life apart from the one true God and the sacrifice of his Son and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is a life submitted to mute idols. Okay? This is, the beginning, this is Paul's beginning argument. He's saying, that life apart from the Spirit, life apart from submission to the Son, life apart from, from God the Father is a life that is ultimately submitted to mute idols. Now that rings a little bit different for us because most of us don't go home and bow down to the block of wood. So it would go something like this. Life apart from the Spirit, life apart from Jesus being our Lord and Master, life apart from God the Father being a present reality, life apart from us being submitted to those, Life apart from that is a life submitted to lesser things. Life apart from, 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 from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is a life submitted to money. It's a, it's a life submitted to, to greed and that desire that's in every one of us in the room, if you're a North American, that, that desire that oh, just a little bit more. And that's just one example. You say, well, you know, we don't go home and bow down to idols. Well, we go to work and bow down to idols all week long, you know. We've got our, you know, we've got our favorites. And so he's beginning to divide between life in the Spirit and life submitted to worthless things. And then he, then, he, then he begins to get more specific in verse 3, and he says this. He says, Therefore I tell you that no one who's speaking by the Spirit of God can say, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. And so that little phrase there, when, when Paul writes, no one... No one who is speaking by the Spirit of God. This is probably a reference to the tongues explosion that's happened in the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church is zealous for spiritual gifts. This is, remember, Paul is not teaching a textbook style here. He's correcting a, a misuse of the spiritual gifts in church. And so when we see this little phrase here, no one who's speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. It's probably a reference to a misuse of tongues in the church, and, and then he, you know, he's, he makes a really dramatic statement. He really makes two dramatic statements. He says, no, if you're speaking by the Spirit of God, you can't say, Jesus be cursed. Likewise, everyone who's speaking by the Spirit of God would say, you know, Jesus is Lord. And so here's the further division that Paul is saying. And this will have, revel- have some importance for us, so just hang with me. It's heavy, I know. Paul's dividing it out between saying, Jesus be cursed, and Jesus is Lord. And um, it goes like this. In pagan practices at that time, um, you know, the Corinthian church, they, they, they worshipped false gods, not unlike we do. Um, they, uh, they bowed down to mute idols, uh, as it would be. And um, even within the, the, the temple worship that they would have had, pagan temples and whatnot, um, the, the concept of divine revelation or uh, the concept of tongues would not have been foreign even in a pagan worship setting. Everybody with me on this? 
So even outside of the church, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been uncommon for uh, people to have some, some understanding of or some expectation that if there's gods or if there's idols, that they might speak to me and uh, there, might be, there might be some sort of ecstatic experience. Everybody with me? And so what Paul is saying here is he's dividing it out for the Corinthians church and he's saying that just because there's some sort of move of the Spirit among you, it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily the, the identifier that the Holy Spirit is with you. Just because someone gets up and gives a tongue, it's not necessarily, gives a message in tongues, it's not necessarily the identifier that the Holy Spirit is the one who has empowered that message in tongues. Everybody with me? What's he saying? He's saying the ultimate test for all spiritual gifts, the ultimate test for all, all movements and partnering with the Spirit is one thing. Is it, does it add to Jesus being Lord? Does it, does it give glory to Jesus? It's not, it's not is, does someone become empowered by the Holy Spirit and say something? It's not, does, is there a revelation in the room? It's not, does someone stand up and speak in tongues? None of those by themselves are signs that God's Spirit is with you. The sign that God's Spirit is with you is do any of those activities give glory to the Lordship of Jesus? It's the, it's, it's the ultimate test for, it's the ultimate litmus test for everyone who, who wants to partner with Jesus in ministry. It's the ultimate litmus test for every, everything that happens by the Spirit. It's the thing that everybody in the room has to keep in their mind and in their heart at all times. Is this giving glory to Jesus? You can say, well, what are you talking about, Adam? I mean, you're talking about all this pagan stuff. We're just... We're just like Baptists from Kentucky who met the Lord, you know? I mean, what, what's this have to do? It has to do with this. A life, who, a person who wants to partner with the Holy Spirit, apart from being submitted to the Lordship of Jesus, a person who, who wants to partner with the Holy Spirit and, and, and be a giver, create a culture of giving within the church, apart from the ultimate Lordship of Jesus, any ministry... Any ministry within the church that ultimately isn't submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ, not only that, both submitted and gives glory to Jesus Christ as Lord, like capital L-O-R-D, Master, is opening themselves up for essentially pagan error. What I mean by this, this is what I mean by this. Because oftentimes in the church, apart from submission to Jesus and apart from a heart that really wants to give glory to Jesus, there can become a fascination in the spirit realm. In the church, not unlike New Age occultists. You hear what I'm saying? I'm not trying to be so heavy, but I want to really pound this home, even for us. Because the Lord is going to change the culture here even more. And when we get together, it's going to become even more a a dynamic experience of, of, of spirit encouragement, spirit to spirit. Not just from the platform, but from purple chair to purple chair. And the thing that everybody who wants to endeavor and partner in this, the thing that we all have to realize is this. We have to stay submitted to Jesus as Lord. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. And everything I do when I, when I, when I prophesy, when I pray for the sick, it's not so that I can become famous. And it's not because spiritual gifts entertain me. It's not because they make the church meeting more lively. It's not so that I can have a tape ministry and go on the road. It's so that Jesus can be glorified in our community. That's what it's really about. It's getting heavy in here. Holy smokes, like the Lord's showing up on this. I feel the Lord. Ah, yikes. Verse 4, this is what Paul says. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. 
Underline the word spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Underline the word Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God. Underline God. Works all of them in all men. We'll go back to verse 4. Paul says this, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. And that word gifts there, that's the, that's the Greek word charisma. charisma. Dr. John, help me out. It's the Greek word, huh? Charisma? Charisma. There we go. I see my syllables are all, see it's really intimidating to talk about Greek when you have a Greek PhD in the room. Yeah, but it's, it's the Greek word charisma. And here's what I want to tell you guys about this, this, this concept of gifts and that the Spirit delivers gifts. It's the Greek word charisma, and, and it comes for a root, from the root word charis, and charis means grace and favor. And what's the point? The point is this, that when you got saved, when the grace of God drew you to His Son Jesus, grace didn't just wash your sins away, and grace didn't just... Uh, take away your guilt and shame. Grace didn't just cleanse your conscience. Grace didn't just put you in right standing before God. Grace empowered you with gifts. The same grace that, that cleansed you, the same grace that washed your conscience, the, the same grace that put you in good standing before the Father is the very same kind of grace that empowers you with supernatural gifts. It's the same ministry. You don't have to turn there. I just want to read you one scripture out of Romans, out of Romans 6.14. This is what Paul says. He says, For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but you're under grace. That word grace, that's what we're talking here. This kind of grace, the kind of grace that took you out from being under law and put you under the freedom of Jesus, that's the kind of grace that empowers us to be a culture where everybody gets to play and everyone gives. Here's the other thing, too, about these four verses, three verses, rather, four, five, and six. Paul's, Paul's bringing correction to the Corinthians church. And in doing so, he's outlining what regular church should be like. And so he's saying, you know, there are gifts by the Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God. And so the implied the implied message there is that when we get together, there should be gifts of the Spirit on display. It's like not actually a church meeting if gifts of the Spirit are on display. It's kind of the message inside of the message there. The other thing about these three verses is this, is that Paul is arguing, he's arguing for diversity. Okay? Okay? See, the Corinthian church had been zealous for gifts, but especially the gift of tongues, and they had overemphasized tongues to the point that apparently at, at, a, at a church meeting, perhaps things would go on like no one would really preach, somebody would just get up and speak in tongues, and maybe somebody would sit down. That's kind of the implication, that's kind of what you get when you read chapter 14, based upon the kind of corrections he's bringing them. So they had overemphasized tongues, and, and they had taken the work of the Holy Spirit, and they had, you know, they had cloistered it down to one gift that being tongues and so Paul begins to argue he begins to argue for diversity he says there's different kinds of gifts but the same spirit there are different kinds of service but the same Lord 
and different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. And in every verse, I want you to notice that what he's really getting after here is diversity. Different kinds of gifts, different kinds of service, different kinds of working. And, um, and so that leads us to, the, to a conclusion at a certain level. And, and the conclusion would be this, that the church, the church is most unified, it's most strengthening when there is true diversity of spiritual gifts among the people of God. I'd also like to point out something else to you here in these three verses. And it's that there's, this, there's a subtle there's a subtle reference to the Trinity in these three verses. And I love this because it actually only backs up the argument even that much more. Let's read it again. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord, Jesus. There are different kinds of working, but the same God and Father who works all of them in all men. What's the point? The point is this. Paul's arguing for diversity in these three in these three verses and there's this subtle reference to the trinity in them and and here this is this is awesome i don't even know if paul intended this this is one of those majestic things that just happens in the scriptures father son and holy spirit are they unified they're perfectly unified yet they're perfectly diverse paul's arguing for diversity he's saying that that the real unity real unity in the church is based upon diversity the kind of unity and diversity that you see in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Isn't that a good word? See, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they, they, they perfectly honor one another. And yet they're distinct. That's what church is like. Real church is like, real church is not, not the place where we come and everyone acts the same, everyone dresses the same, and everyone, everyone uh, you know, has the same gift and where everyone has a hammer and keeps looking for an L. Real church Real church is where everyone is, in, is, is touched by the Holy Spirit. And, and, man, God just has different things for everybody in the room. You know? It could, be, it could be anything at any time for any of you guys. See, here's the deal. Church marketing says that if you want to have a really successful church, decide what kind of church you are and go for that. That's what church marketing says. And what they mean by that is this. They mean, uh, you know, Get your vision down. D- d- decide what, like, what slice of the sociological pie that you're going to go for. You're going to go for like, you know, the punk rockers from 20 to you know, 18 to 25. You know, or you're going to be a baby boomer church. You know, there, there's all this stuff in church marketing that works along those lines. You're going to be a church that's known for healing. I just want to tell you, we're not going to do any of that. We're going to be the church where diversity is embraced. We're going we're to be the church that does it all. I mean, my heart is that we don't do one thing. My heart is that we do it all. Verse 6, there are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. And if you've got your Bible, just underline that last little phrase there. The same God works all of them in all men. Uh, there's this notion after just being a pastor for a few years you meet enough people and you know invariably they have questions but there's this notion that's just rampant in the church um, that when you become a believer and and the holy spirit comes to live inside you there's this there's this notion that as a believer of jesus that you get one gift i don't i don't even know where this stuff starts but there's this notion that 
That as believers in Jesus, you get one gift. It's almost like they're rationed out. It's, it's almost like there's this concept within huge segments of the church that Jesus only has a certain number of spiritual gifts, and so we want to make sure that everybody gets something, so the magic number for everybody is one. That's not what Paul's talking about at all. He's saying that when you get together, God works all of them in all men. What's he saying? He's saying that anything is possible. When we get together, anything is possible for anybody in the room. And I love that fact that he says it's in all men. There's also this concept sometimes within the church. Well, you know, spiritual gifts, they're for the good people. Or, you know, spiritual gifts, they're for the really holy people. Or, you know, especially like prophecy and healing and miracles, that's for like the guys who... You know, that's for the, for, for the people who, who lock themselves in prayer closets for 60 hours a week and don't come out and they don't watch TV. In fact, they threw their TV out of the house. Those are the only people who can work in miracles, you know. And that's just not what it's about at all. The truth of the matter is, any of the stuff, any of the stuff, any of the lists that you read anywhere in the Bible, anything that you saw Jesus do, it's just possible. There's something about getting together that the Holy Spirit descends on. And when He descends, He likes to distribute gifts. He likes to distribute grace. He likes to throw grace out like seed, and he likes to throw all kinds of grace on all kinds of people. And no one gets left out. You might be somebody here this, this morning, you're thinking, well, I, you know, I'm a pretty bad person. You don't know what I've done in my life. You know, um, I don't pray enough. You know, I, I barely read my Bible. I think I read it twice this year. And you, think, you, and you come up with this list of all the reasons why I'm disqualified for being a partner with Jesus. And I just want to tell you, it's all, it's all garbage. All of that stuff's garbage. You're part of the house. You're part of the family. You're in. You're part of this family, you're in, bottom line. You're a good person, you're in. You're, you're a horrible person, you're in. I mean, because at the end of the day, how good is good enough? How bad is bad enough? All men. There's no such thing as special believers. And so anything could happen. Verse 7, Paul says this, he says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now to each one, that'd be me and you, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And so the next thing I want to communicate to the church is this, is that as believers in Jesus, as followers, as members of the house, as members of the family, we're containers for the Spirit, and the Spirit is distributed, and and we're containers not just to hold it, but we're called to manifest the Spirit, especially when we get together. But even like Cliff, like Cliff just goes to Walmart and just he just... Just manifest the Spirit. And he's not the only one in here. There's, like, there's a lot of people in the church who, just, who go to Walmart and they, and they do this stuff, you know. Uh, Jesse, like last Halloween, healed somebody in the, in the Halloween aisle, you know. We're called to manifest the Spirit everywhere we go. I mean, that just, that rocks my socks off. We're called to be walking revivals, walking God encounters. We are not those people who have simply absorbed enough of Jesus' blood to ensure salvation. We are those who are walking, breathing luminaries of the Holy Spirit. This is where my heart's at. I want to read that again. We are not those who have simply absorbed enough of Jesus' blood to ensure salvation. We are those who are walking and breathing luminaries of the Holy Spirit. Look again at verse 7. And the gifts are for the good of the body. See, for a body to lack expression is the extent to which that body will remain weak. It's for the good of the body. Look at the, next, look at the person next to you and tell them, I need you. 
Go ahead and look at that person again and tell them, you need me. Look at that person next to you and tell them, I came here to rock you. Listen, see, this is, this is the atmosphere that church, this is what actual real church is like. You need me. I need you, and I came here to rock you. That's what church is about. If I were writing the Bible, that's, that's the way I would start it. What is real church about, believers? You need me, I need you, I came here to rock you. That's what real church is about. Check my iPhone real quick. If you don't have one, God just released the grace for everybody in the room to have an iPhone. Matt, Matt received it and Sam received it. Anybody else in the house? I've got an impartation for releasing iPhones on people. Amen. Yeah. Speaking of the iPhone, it almost, it almost caused a divorce the first two weeks I had it. Because, like, at my house, you know, I work during the day or whatever. <clears throat> I take, I somehow kind of take a day off. We've worked up to, ha- I take kind of a half a day off a week now, sort of. It's not the Lord, by the way. He's trying to deal with me on it. We've been working together on this for a year. But anyway, um, so I got the iPhone, and I'm at home, and, you know, usually we put the kids, you know, during the summer times they go to bed like 9.30, and, you know, school time they go to bed like 8.45 or something like that. And so, you know, 9.30 to 11.30, that's me and Heather time, and we, you know, we, we get on the couch, we talk, we watch uh, Top Chef, we like that show. Uh, Top Chef rocks, man. I, I want to eat that food sometime. But, um, but yeah, so the, for the first two weeks I had my iPhone, I'm sitting on the couch when I should be, you know, conversing with my wife about <clears throat> whatever they're cooking and I'm absorbed. I'm like, I'm tweeting. I, 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 couldn't, I, couldn't even, I couldn't even take it off, and I wouldn't let her touch it at all. She got really mad at me. She's like, can I see your iPhone? I'm like, no, go get your own. That's not incredibly rude, because if you know my wife, she breaks everything. But then I got touched by God, and I've, I've learned how to share. And so she, she, can, she can check her Facebook at night, right before we go to bed for about five minutes. So. What does this have to do with what we're talking about? I have no idea. What am I doing? Holy smokes, what am I doing? I need you. You need me. I'm gonna, I came here to rock you. That's where we're at. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's, let's read the list, okay? Let's read the list. Let's just do that. Verse 8. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by the, by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of the one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. Again, Paul's not writing an exhaustive list. He's just outlining that this is, this is the kind of diversity that, that when God's people get together, this is the kind of diversity that, that should exist just in the house of God. It's not an exhaustive list. He's not saying these nine and no more. 
He's not saying if you don't have these nine in operation every time, you're not a real church. He's not saying that. He's just saying this is the kind of diversity that should be in God's house. Anybody have something in that list they want? That's, I'm at, that's where I'm at, huh? I mean, we, we're, we're all kind of familiar with it, you know, the message of knowledge, message of wisdom. Message of wisdom, I, you know, that's, that's a good one. We need more of that. That's like, that's like one time some dudes came to Jesus and they said, hey, Jesus, should we pay taxes or not? And Jesus says, well, get out the coin. And he says, and they get out the coin and, they, and he says, well, whose face is on the coin? And they say, well, Caesar. And he says, well, you know, you give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and you give to God what belongs to God. It's like, it's like wisdom that just, you know, it's supernatural download wisdom that just ends all argument. What's the message of wisdom? That's one aspect of it. In the Corinthian church, they're, they're, they, had, they had, evidently they had some issues with wisdom and, and Paul says to them in 1 Corinthians 1.17, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. There's something about the supernatural message of wisdom that illuminates the power of Christ. It's not just ending arguments, but it's, it's about the message of wisdom. Like, you get around somebody who's maybe just sharing the Lord, sharing their testimony, or even a preacher, and they hit some point, and it just illuminates for everybody in the room the power of Jesus and the power of his cross. You just saw, you know, the, a supernatural spiritual gift get put into place. So it can manifest itself a couple different ways. The message of knowledge, that's what Cliff was talking about this morning when he's saying, before I went into Walmart, I'm sitting in my car and I'm asking God, what do you want to do? And God's saying, green jacket, crazy eyebrows. It's a message of knowledge. It's knowledge that you can't get just by doing a math problem. You know, it's not A plus B equals C. It's, it's get with Jesus, get around a person. You don't get around a process, you get around a person. Information comes in and it comes through a lot of different ways. There are impressions, it might blast through your mind, you might hear something in your spirit you might just feel something uh you know some people who have healing ministries they get words of knowledge by feeling pain in their body that they know isn't their own it could be a hundred different ways that's what the words are word of knowledge is faith and this is paul's talking about different the, a different kind of faith than there's just faith for salvation but he's talking about in my opinion faith that moves mountains and, and i think the perfect example of that in the scripture is the woman with the issue of blood. She says to herself, if I just get next to Jesus, if I just grab him, I don't even have to talk to him. If I just get next to him, I grab him, then I'm going to get healed. And that's exactly what happened. What was, what was going on there? Supernatural faith. This woman had been bleeding for 12 years. She spends all of her monies with doctors. She doesn't get better. She presses through the crowd. She grabs hold of Jesus. Virtue leaves Jesus. How does it leave Jesus? Her faith just made a demand on his, on his, his healing power. Just Access. That's what faith looks like. I like being around people who have supernatural gift of faith as well because I, don't, I rarely have supernatural gift of faith. And so this is what I found about people who have real faith. People who have real faith, like spiritual gift kind of faith, they end up being a strength for the other people in the church who don't have faith. I don't know if you guys have ever realized this or not or even ever seen it in operation. I see it a lot of times when we pray for the sick. Somebody will come to us that needs prayer for, the, prayer for healing and they're just... You know, they're, they're incredibly sick. The, the doctor told them, you know, you've got cancer. You're going to die in three months. And, and, and they, they want to be well, and they want to believe that Jesus can do something. But, you, you, you know, you've talked to these people probably. They, you can tell they've just given up. I've, I've been around some of those people like you all have. But I've also been around some of those people, and then, like, the person who's praying for them just has crazy faith. It's like, no, you're not. You're not going to die. You are not going to die. And it's like, yeah, but the doctor's report says I'm going to die. And it's like, what's the difference? It's like supernatural gift of faith. It's, it, it, it moves mountains. It makes a demand on the, on the power of God and it, it ends up being a source of strength and serving the person. It's not like, you know, you'll get healed if you get more faith, sick person. It's not about that at all. It's about saying, I've got faith for you, you know? 
Go ahead, and, go ahead and just be weak. It's okay. You be weak. I'm here to serve you. I believe for you. You'll live and not die. That's what supernatural faith looks like. Miraculous power or healing. You know, healing, you know, it's all over Jesus' ministry. Miraculous power. Um, this, is th- this is something I want to see released more here at the Vineyard. Miraculous power. I would define miraculous powers like this. Turning water into wine, walking on the water, uh, taking five loaves and a couple fish and feeding 5,000 people. I'm pressing for that. I'm like, God, come on, Jesus. Water to wine, baby. Me and you. Miraculous power. By the way, you know when Jesus made water, turned water to wine, you realize he made 180 gallons of wine for people who were already drunk. What does that tell you about how the Lord is? He's, he's like, let's keep the party going. Um, but I'm like, come on, Jesus. Um, yeah, baby. I'm wanting some of that. Multiplication of bread, walking on water, prophecy. Uh, A good example of prophecy from the scriptures is when Jesus is meeting his first disciples. He says, yeah, you guys have been fishers, but I'm going to make you fishers of men. It's a little little prophetic insight that defines who they are for the rest of their life. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14.3 says, prophecy is for edification, exhortation, and comfort. It's it's about releasing divine encouragement. It's not coming up to my wife and saying, babe, your, your blue shirt is really awesome. It's pretty. It makes you look lovely. That's natural encouragement, and there's some value to that. But supernatural encouragement is something way deeper than that. It's like, Ryan, no, you're not a fisherman. You're a fisher of men. Come follow me. It's, um, there's also a, an account in the book of Acts. You guys should read it. Agabus shows up and says, you know, there's going to be a famine. And sure enough, there was a famine. That's what prophecy looks like. We've had some of that around here. It's good. Um, distinguishing between spirits. This one's really weird. Uh, there's a lot of confusion about it. But because Paul links it to prophecy, there's an element uh, to which distinguishing between spirits has to do with judging prophecy. It's, it's judging that which is from God and that which is from not, not from God. And it has to do, uh, in a large degree, with judging prophecy. Not only that, uh, when you get in a meeting and the Lord really starts to break out and move, uh, you know, sometimes somebody will get supernaturally touched by God and they're on the floor and they're crying. Okay, This person is crying, they're wailing, they're moaning, and they're rolling around. You need somebody with discernment in the room to know whether this is a work of God or whether they're just manifesting a demon and it needs to come out. My wife is great at this. I go in the room, everyone's on the floor, everyone's crying, everyone's getting smacked. I'm like, the ghost is here, baby, let's do it. My wife is like, no, that person over there's got a demon, it needs to come out, you know? How does she know that? It's a supernatural gift of the Spirit. I don't move in that much, but she does, and it's a good thing we're married. But it also has to do with judging prophecy, that which is from God, and from, not from God. Tongues. Tongues is essentially a praise and prayer language. Charismatic church gets this wrong all the time. Like, you know, the classic charismatic thing is somebody stands up, gives a message in tongues, and then someone else interprets, and the interpretation goes like this. You know, my people, my people, da-da-da-da-da. I just want to tell you, that's really not what tongues is, is in the Bible at all. Tongues is Acts chapter 2. It's when the Holy Spirit falls on people. It's a praise and prayer language in unknown languages. It, it bypasses the mind. It's a way for our hearts to get connected, bypassing the mind, and tongues is speaking to God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I think it's verse 1, he says that the one who speaks in a tongue speaks to God, but one who, the one who prophesies speaks to men. It's a really important distinction for everybody in the room. What is tongues? Tongues is, is a praise and a prayer language to God. It's not, meant, it's not meant as a message for people. It's not meant as a message where God, someone speaks and the interpretation is God, you know, everybody get in line. That's not what it is. It's a praise and a prayer language from man to God. And then there's interpretation. And that's highly connected to tongues. We talked about that, about that funny little thing that happened in my office. 
So I said all that to get to this. God's just really wanting to, to put the accelerator down on the, on the culture that we have here of, of church as a place that I come to give. He's wanting, he's wanting to put the accelerator down on that. And, and the thing that he's wanting to highlight is this. He's wanting everybody in the room to realize that, that there's, there's, not, there's not especially good people and there's not especially bad people. There's no one who's especially qualified. There's no one who's especially disqualified. It's his good pleasure. If you believe that Jesus is good enough to you to save you from hell, he's good enough to you to empower you with his Holy Spirit so that you can be a blessing for the next person next to you. Amen? Amen. Amen. If you're on the ministry team, come up this morning. We don't want to just talk about the stuff. We want to do the stuff. We've had lecture, and now we're going to have lab.